bright shining cosmic stars, beautifully translucent galaxies, and mischievous black holes are scattered among the universes. Countries are racing to be the first to mine its resources to be used here on Earth. It's vast and never-ending. The majority of it is highly unexplored. People have lost their lives trying to discover its hidden treasures. You'll be enamored by the view of its galaxies in never-ending depth. Enjoy as we explore outer space and all it has to offer. I'm Scott Parrish and you're listening to Dying to Eat. Each episode, we'll be focusing on a different country or culture or experience and exploring the relationship between food and death around the world. I would like to give a big shout out to Diane Gordon of California, Tony Trimmer of Tennessee, and James Harville of Arkansas. Thank you for listening and supporting the show. It means the world to Pete the producer and me. Today is a special episode as we'll be discussing outer space. However, there's still death and food in the galaxy, so stick around if you love food, culture, and fun stories. I have a great show in store for you, so make sure you stick around to the end to see what's cooking this week. Before we get into the whole outer space scene, I would like to thank our sponsor, Tailored Hemp, fine purveyor of high-quality CBD, legal in all states. CBD is a popular alternative to the traditional over-the-counter medications for pain relief, lessening anxiety, possibly helping to reduce seizures and reduce acne. This is not a medical statement. I'm not a doctor and am not making any medical claims. I can tell you that I have had issues sleeping for many years. I don't smoke. CBD gummies and tincture have helped me rest better. Forget the rest. Use the best. Find them at thetailoredhemp.com. Our Outer Space, a.k.a. the Milky Way. It's about 100,000 to 150,000 light years wide. Now, the Milky Way is just what we Earth dwellers can see. The entire universe is believed to be approximately 93 billion light years wide. That's billion. So any concept that you currently have of how big outer space is, just expand on that. In case you were wondering, light years is used by astronomers and it determines how fast it takes light to get to Earth in one year. We actually don't have an official number of how big the universe is because there have been no successful missions to determine this exact number. And our universe could be a stop on the road to even a bigger universe. It's really just a guess. Once you leave the Milky Way, our outer space as far as we can see, consists of our solar system within a larger galaxy, that's the Milky Way, and within the Milky Way there's tons of more solar systems. Earth's solar system consists of eight planets. That's Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Saturn, Jupiter, Uranus, Neptune, and maybe Pluto, depending on who you believe. According to NASA, there are roughly six billion Earth-like planets in our galaxy. Take into consideration that we're not the only life-bearing planet. It's very possible. We could have some intergalactic buddies out there that we just hadn't met yet. Hey, what's a stranger? It's a friend I hadn't met yet, right? So, come on down. We're ready to meet you guys. Outer space is a zone that is... uh, It's measured to be uh, 60 miles above Earth and over. There's no 
air there to breathe and no light to see. The sky is black in outer space as the oxygen mo molecules down on the ground of the Earth are not present in space. Thus, it's pitch black. Humans can't breathe or see, and they can't hear in outer space either. Consider space like a vacuum. Sound won't carry because the molecules surrounding space aren't close enough to transmit that sound. It's a common misconception that there's no gravity in space because astronauts are always depicted as floating around aimlessly. Gravity can be found anywhere in space. That's what holds the sun and the moon into the solar system. It's what keeps us on Earth and the sun a comfortable distance. Speaking of gravity, there is a much larger and scarier component to this phenomenon. It's the black hole. The hole is an area in space where gravity pulls at the molecules around it that the light can't escape. Black holes are invisible in space because no light can escape. Just as I said, usually these black holes appear when a star is dying as it produces a lot of matter. Luckily, black holes in the Milky Way are not close enough to our solar system to engulf us. Even if there was a black hole in our solar system, it could have the same gravitational pull as the sun. In that case, we would literally just orbit it just like we do the sun. Only three galaxies can be seen from the Milky Way without a telescope. So, in light years, these galaxies are, you know, rather close. Specifically, there's a galaxy by the name Andromedia that is 2.5 million light years away, and scientists predict that it's in about 4 billion years, it'll collide with the Milky Way. Rocks float through the solar system as well, sometimes colliding with other planets. And if you know history, then you know that that's how the dinosaurs were uh, eliminated from and became extinct on Earth. These rocks are called asteroids and are made up of different materials like clay, silicate, metallic properties, and um, iron. Asteroids are considered to be the most ancient thing in our solar system. In short, not only could another galaxy collide with our galaxy, but we could run the risk of getting hit by a bunch of these floating rocks in space and begin to orbit a black hole. The knowledge of space is rather primitive for the amount of time that humans and life uh, forms have spent on Earth. I mean, we're talking billions of years here. However, we finally have the technology and the manpower to discover what's out there. The human race has had many successful missions into space. A few have been with human in a spaceship and many have been done with a robot. Astronauts, or cosmonauts as they call guys that go into space in Russia, are the commanders-in-chief of the spaceship that they fly into outer space. In some ways, what astronauts do on a daily basis in space is exactly like what you've seen in the movies. They are heavily trained scientists with the knowledge in spacecraft safety. Astronauts have been exploring space since 1961. The first person in space was Soviet Union, so Soviet Union cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, and that was on April 12, 1961. Now, let me preface the rest of this here. There are several names of foreign people, specifically Russian. And as I go through this, I'm going to do my best to pronounce these names.
give me a break. If you know how to do it better, drop me a line on Instagram or on Facebook. Always glad to hear from you guys. So the spacecraft was called the Bostic 1, and it made a single orbit around Earth. He spent a total of 108 minutes in orbit and reached the speed of 17,500 miles per hour at an altitude of 203 miles above Earth. As you can imagine, this was a huge deal to the Soviets and mankind in general. Space had been a pipe dream for so long. The massive technological advances made in the 20th century made this mission possible. Yuri spent the rest of his life in fame and fortune. Yuri went on to embrace the Russian political climate and the USSR didn't want to risk him going back into space to never return again because I'm sure you understand how dangerous that is. While he never made it to space again, he did continue to advocate and make an immense contribution to the world's space mission. The first man on the moon was Neil Armstrong, July 20th, 1969. Many get the United States mission and the in the Soviet Union's missions mixed up. Yes, Yuri was the first person in space, but he didn't stop at any landmass. Neil Armstrong entered space and landed on the moon. The climate of the moon solidifies any movement of the planet, so Armstrong's footprints will be engraved into the moon's landscape for thousands of thousands of years. He boarded the Apollo 11 which had previously been unsuccessful in its trips to space. This day in history was different. You've probably heard his most famous words from the moon. Houston, Tranquility Base here. The eagle has landed. And he planted the American flag on the moon's hard ground. We don't have to get into the conspiracy theory here. There's no wind on the moon. There's a video of Neil Armstrong placing the flag on the moon with wind whipping the flag back and forth. This video has been a speculation of many conspiracists, but it's been proven time and time again that Neil Armstrong did make it to the moon. There have been even more astronauts and cosmonauts entering the solar system since the first two pioneers of the 1960s. I'm the kind of guy that likes to know the logistics of things. My biggest concern was, how did these people eat in space? What would preserve in that harsh climate of space? I was surprised to learn that there's a lot that can be eaten in space, actually. In fact, there are food companies out there that make dehydrated food packets just for the astronauts to take with them. Food in space has certainly evolved in the last 40 years as Yuri ate beef and liver paste aboard the Vostok 1 in back in 61. For dessert, he ate chocolate sauce the very same way. I imagine this was because the USSR was unaware of what could survive in the climate of, spa in the climate of space. Nowadays, astronauts can bring a lot of what we eat on Earth with them. First things first, there's no refrigerators in space, so food that requires a cold climate can't be brought up. An oven is supplied, and it actually was used by the spaceship crew. In early 2020, the first cookies were baked on the International Space Station, the Double Tree Chocolate Chip Cookie. Stay tuned for the end of the episode to bake along with me and learn how the astronauts did it. The International Space Station 
has a menu that they allow the astronauts to choose from when they're picking food for their long-term stay. The menu consists of nutritionally dense foods that is lightweight and easy to eat. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks are provided daily to the team. Astronauts eat at least 2,500 calories a day and are required to work out two hours a day to keep themselves up in tip-top shape for their job. Their health in NASA's uh, opinion is top priority. They're allowed to drink more than just water in space, so they have options of coffee, tea, orange juice, fruit punches, and lemonade. <laughs> That's pretty good. For astronauts who are staying longer in space, their muscle mass and bone density can decrease up to 20%. It will not be noticeable in space, but once they get to Earth, then they're in for it. Calcium-rich foods like yogurt are abundant on the ISS to help retain muscle mass. They are also allowed foods that can be rehydrated with water, like macaroni and cheese and spaghetti. Snack foods are, you know, they're fruits, nuts, peanut butter. They can be chicken, beef, seafood. They can be candy, brownies. Uh, so there's a wide array of things that astronauts can eat now. All, this all of this food comes in disposable packages that are space friendly. The packages are created to be flexible and easy to stow away. Trash is put into a container underneath the spaceship's floor to maximize the space and prevent floating objects from knocking an astronaut out or getting in their view when they're trying to do something important. Condiments are also available, so ketchup, mustard, and mayonnaise will go a long way to make, say, a tortilla sandwich a little bit better. I say tortilla because bread is not a thing in space. It doesn't keep up well with its shape and its shelf life is small in comparison to a tortilla. Alcohol is definitely not allowed. You can bet 100% on that. However, cosmonauts for the USSR are able to drink a limited amount. Soda is absolutely forbidden because the carbohydrate, the carbonation, <laughs> Let me try that one again. Soda is absolutely forbidden because the carbonation in the drinks act differently in space. The uh, carbon dioxide bubbles stay in the liquid versus on Earth where they are expelled once the containers open. This can cause serious digestion issues for the, the space consumer, I guess we'll call them. Salt and pepper in any kind of spice aren't allowed as the small particles can float away from the intended target. Imagine trying to shake some salt on your sandwich and it just kind of just floating away from you. Also, the particles could clog the, uh, the air filters or pollute important equipment or get stuck in an astronaut's eye. Have you ever heard of an astronaut ice cream? You know what I'm talking about. It's dehydrated, like most space foods, and it's sold as this popular souvenir at science-related gift shops. Now, the funny thing about that is, it's never been in space. The crumbly texture of the astronaut ice cream could obstruct equipment and create a dusty climate on the spaceship. So, sorry guys, no ice cream. A lot of thought and time goes into the preparation of feeding astronauts in space, as you can tell. The food that astronauts eat require detailed planning and so does the actual missions into space. It's no secret that on Earth we live in 
a planet that is slowly deteriorating due to humans' overconsumption of non-renewable energy and mass production of harmful plastic products, to name you know a couple of the main reasons, governments have been enacting regulations in the background that are allowing countries to lay claim to space. It's been found that the planets in our solar system and the asteroids in our solar system carry valuable resources. Essentially, what I'm saying here, we can mine outer space and replenish all of the resources that we're depleting. uh, Asteroid mining, the art of utilizing raw materials that are found on rocks floating around space. These asteroids, they're giant masses of rock and metal and other resources that we could use. According to NASA, there are three types of asteroids. The C-type. Consider this the average space rock that you'll find floating around through space. It's characterized by dark colors and is full of carbon. It's high in hydrated clay minerals that could be extracted for H2O. If there's ever a space colony on Mars, this type of asteroid would be very, very important. The S-type. This type of asteroid is shiny and has a stone-like color to it. It contains metals like iron, cobalt, and nickel. So you can see why this could be valuable to us. And the M-type, the rarest of three as it contains 10 times more metal than the S-type. It could easily make a space miner a trillionaire if enough is collected. So going out and mining in space has potential that we have just barely tapped and you can see where it's going. These rocks are just floating around freely in space and it would take uh, a rover, all it would take is a rover to land on it and extract the precious minerals. You've seen the Hollywood movies, you know what I'm talking about. Not only would it be beneficial to replenish non-renewable sources, but it would also aid in the fight against global warming. Deforestation is a detrimental side to the effect of extracting resources from the Earth's ground. When this is attempted, it could release large amounts of CO2 into the air, which is harmful to our ozone layer. If we are mining these resources in space, it would slice through those emissions and bring them down and relieve a lot of what the global warming side effects are that we're experiencing now. The other part of space is that it can be mined. Another part of space that can be mined is the moon, which, by the way, reminds me of my dad joke this week. And I guarantee you, producer Pete's going to love this one. Why would a restaurant on the moon never be a popular destination? It has no atmosphere. <laughs> so, so the moon has an immense amount of water deposits all over it. I'm going to say H2O, just so we're not cutting hairs about whether it's what form it's in. There's a European business by the name of iSpace that has a private lunar exploration company that makes the necessary transportation equipment to travel to the moon and mine it. The private company has two missions planned, one to the moon in 2021 and the other to the South Pole in 2023 for surface exploration. Both of these missions are in the collaboration stage with Elon Musk. 
we all know him, right? Founder of SpaceX and all the other stuff. It's a known fact that the moon has an abundant amount of rare earth elements, but it's been recently discovered that the lunar poles hold vast deposits of H2O. A lunar pole is the point on the earth directly underneath the moon, like the South Pole. The United States, Russia, and China, and India want to establish permanent bases on the South Pole to lay claim to the H2O discoveries. H2O will be the hottest commodity in space as it is the only element that will not change in the treacherous solar environment. The elements like iron, carbon, and nickel have different properties in space than they do on Earth. James Manitovi of the, of the Kennedy Space Center states that water is like gold in deep space. H2O contain, contains hydrogen and oxygen which combined together can actually even be used to make rocket fuel. Of course not by itself but it, it's an intricate element or ingredient. The company Deep Space Industries has been actively working to simulate the three different types of asteroids with similar soil and crust composition. The goal is to understand how these asteroid surfaces work and determine the type of technology needed to mine an asteroid. DSI does not necessarily have to go to space to get samples of these asteroids as meteors have fallen from space and they contain the essential necessities we need to rebuild these models. NASA has a planned mission to sample a B-type asteroid named Bennu. Since it is a B-type, it's full of carbon which has preserved the inside which has been preserved on the inside of the rock. Bennu could re quite possibly hold the origin elements from which our solar system's been created. It's also has gone undisturbed since the beginning of our galaxy. We're talking about four and a half billion years ago. NASA wants to send a probe vacuum to the asteroid to suck up around three kilograms of dust and particles. While Bennu is closer than others, the probe will lose connection with the Earth as it navigates through the solar system. It could easily have one misstep and crash into Bennu or just be lost in space forever for some other reason. It will be operating in an automatic mode, which is pre-programmed for that probe. Recent exploration to space has shown that Bennu is composed of these large boulders versus small rocks. Originally, it was thought that the probe would have roughly 2,000 yards to land within and explore. After further investigation from NASA, it's been determined that the probe will only have about 100 yards to land and explore. It's incredibly expensive to send a human, and let alone a robot, into space, especially since landing on an asteroid and extracting minerals has never been done to date. A few companies of note have joined the space mining industry. Planetary Resources, created by Chris Lewicki and Peter Demandius, launched in 2012. Lewicki is a previous NASA employee and had worked on famous missions such as the rover on Mars. Diamandius is known for his outlandish ideas on space tourism. Both raised $50 million. Now, 
21 million dollars of that 50 came from Google and the filmmaker James Cameron. Deep Space Industries appeared shortly after, raising only 3.5 million from governmental contracts to begin their space mining mission. One of the Deep Space board members, Rick Tolunison, was quoted in saying, "Crazy ideas. What? That's what makes cultures move forward. Nothing says this is impossible except our own belief in our system." There's a lot of excitement surrounding the possibility of space mining. It all just depends on who has the money to do it. Unfortunately, the two startup companies I listed, Plant Territory Resources and Deep Space Industries, are no longer in operation. The companies were not delivering to the investors as they promised, so the investors backed out. On top of this, how is a space mining company supposed to operate? Mining space has never actually happened. It's just an idea that these companies want to make a reality. Do you invest in all the equipment before the space mining actually starts? Or do you get a few necessities and then mine space? Asteroid mining attempts are definitely going to be made in the next few years. Up and coming space companies are launching many satellites into space to test their inventions. If they end up becoming successful, we could see huge sources in space investing. Millions of dollars are being invested into privatized space companies right now, right now in 2021. The possibilities are endless. It's believed that by the time we're able to make asteroid mining a real thing, we'll have the technology to turn the resource into anything that we want. This notion is driving space mining startups to push out equipment that will get them to asteroid mining before anyone else. This goes for countries as well. The United States, China, Russia, and India are all in the power grab to see who can get to space first and begin extracting these resources. It's a race, literally, to space. So, big steps for mankind makes for dangerous missions, right? 30 astronauts and cosmonauts have died while in space, or training for space, or attempting to enter or leave the solar system. While these 30 died in uniform, only three were actually passed away in space. These astronauts' names, and again, I'm going to pronounce them the best that I can, are Georgi Dobrolowski. Dobrolowski. How's that? Vladislav Volkov and Victor Pat Sayex. I think that's the the last one is the easiest one. From and all these guys were from the Soviet Union. Before these three cosmonauts made their mission, another mission had happened a few months earlier in the April of 1971. The cosmonauts were aboard the Soex 10 and made it through the Earth's atmosphere to the International Space Station. Unfortunately, a hatch was broken and would not open. So they reluctantly boarded back into the spacecraft and flew back home. Toxic chemicals leaked into the spacecraft from a leaking seal and caused one of the cosmonauts to pass out. However, they all made it back to Earth safely. Fast forward to June 6, 1971, and Dobroblowski, <laughs> I hope that's right, Vokoy and 
Space AX boarded the same spacecraft for another attempt to enter space and uh, be there for a longer stay. The three entered spa the space station successfully and stayed for about three weeks. This was a new record uh, for the longest period of time spent in space at that point. And they also were able to hold experiments focused on how the body reacts to extended periods of weightlessness. On June 29th, the three cosmonauts boarded the spacecraft so they could head back to Earth. The spacecraft entered the Earth's atmosphere with, you know, relatively no problem, no hiccups, and landed safely back in Kazakhstan. The crew waiting for them began knocking on the hatch to see if the cosmonauts would answer. When they didn't receive a response, they opened the hatch themselves from the outside to see all three men were sitting on the couch immobile. The men had blue patches on their face and blood dripping from their nose and ears. It was determined that, that they had died from suffocation while entering the Earth's atmosphere. After investigation, it was found that a faulty valve seal on the descent vehicle of the spacecraft had burst open. The spacecraft was 104 miles from Earth when the leaking valve and the vacuum of space sucked all of the air out of the craft. The valve was below the cosmonaut's seats, so it would have been impossible for them to reach it and fix it in time. After this fatal accident, the USSR mandated that all cosmonauts wear pressurized spacesuits while entering the Earth's atmosphere. Those three men were pioneers and heroes. The uncertainty of the mission and the perchance of death is always there when you're in space. And I want to say... I appreciate what they did. In my mind, they persevered in pushing space ahead for all of us, or space exploration ahead for all of us. So that was the story of the three cosmonauts who died in space. But there were many more heroes that died while trying to make it to space exploration, trying to make it to space, or in other parts of this program. A few years before the Soyuz accident, another cosmonaut by the name of Vladimir Komarov lost control of his spacecraft and crashed into the Russian soil after his descent into the Earth's atmosphere. Komarov mentioned before his mission that he did not feel that the spacecraft was up to par for the mission. He voiced his concerns to those who would listen, but ultimately he was ignored. It was discovered that the parachute function on the descent vehicle was faulty. Crew members involved in this horrific accident remember Komarov screaming in terror over the radio because he knew what was going to happen. The American space program NASA has also suffered great loss in incredible astronauts. January 28, 1986, the shuttle Challenger exploded on live television. I remember well because I saw it. It was horrible. It was a highly publicized event that was supposed to make history, and I guess in a way that did. Well, but it, not in the way it was intended, of course. A teacher, the first teacher, Krista uh, McAuliffe, wanted to teach from space and never got the chance. She also was accompanied by astronauts Michael J. Smith, Francis R. Scobie, Ronald E. McNair, Elison Onakusa, Gregory Jarvis, and Judith 
Resnick. The shuttle exploded due to this O-ring seal on the craft failing. It was not known if the astronauts died on impact as the crew cabin stayed together up until it hit the Atlantic Ocean. The crew could have survived the initial explosion, but the loss of the cabin pressure and the oxygen would have suffocated all of them. NASA knew that the cold weather could affect the launch, but they continued anyway, and these people lost their lives because of that fatal decision. Before Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, Apollo 1 was persistently being tested to be sure that it could make it back from the moon. On January 1967, astronauts Gus Grimson, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee were killed during the launch simulation. A stray spark full of pure oxygen ignited in the crew cabin, starting this uncontrollable fire that engulfed the entire crew inside. These astronauts hadn't even left Earth. They were grounded in a test simulation. It would take weeks before the death of the crew. It would take weeks after the death of the crew before NASA picked up and moved on again. February 1st, 2003, a space shuttle Columbia was re-entering Earth's atmosphere when a piece of the spacecraft fell off and hit a wing, leaving a giant hole. This was a domino effect as more pieces began to fall off the craft. A lot of the craft was insulated with foam and it easily tore apart when it reached the atmosphere. The astronauts may have survived the initial blow, but since it kept on going, all seven of the crew members died. Space Shuttle Columbia was only 16 minutes from Earth when it happened. For days after, parts of the craft and the body parts of the crew members were found scattered over a 10-mile radiance. A man that had been found a few a man that had found a few of the body parts stated that he saw the charred torso, thigh bone, and skull. Memorials were created in the memory of the astronauts by the onlookers who found the debris scattered everywhere. Being an astronaut's a really cool job, but it does come with a great responsibility and an enormous amount of danger. These great people lost their lives while trying to make a greater future for mankind. In memory and honor of these fallen astronauts, memorials have been erected in their name and foundations have been started to inspire younger generations to explore space. The Astronauts Memorial Foundation was founded after the shuttle Challenger exploded on live television. It is a not-for-profit program that funds a Center for Space Education. Their mission stated is to inspire future generations of scientists, technologists, engineers, and mathematicians. NASA is also a contributor to this organization. A large memorial statue was created at the Kennedy Space Center to pay tribute to the astronauts who had lost their lives on duty. It was dedicated in 1991 by the vice president at the time. That was Dan Quayle and designated a national memorial by President George Bush. The monument was advertised to the country. The Kennedy Space Center wanted the public involved with this monument. 750 entries were sent in. The monument is 42 and a half feet high and 50 feet wide. It is constructed of 90 mirror-finished granite panels. 
Each panel is two inches thick and weighs about 500 pounds each. The sun's rays shine directly on the astronauts' names that are engraved in the panels. Bright lights illuminate the names 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In the year 2000, another monument was added to show the astronauts' photos and biographies. NASA established a Day of Remembrance in January of every year. The day is designated by NASA beforehand. Speeches are given each year at the event for the Day of Remembrance. In 2020, it was January 30th. Due to the pandemic, the Day of Remembrance was held virtually for 2021, but look out because they're going to do it again in 2022. Being an astronaut is more than having a cool title by your name. It's a dangerous but highly rewarding job that allows mankind to continue exploration into the unknown. The future is bright for space exploration. Be on the lookout for more mission announcements and discoveries because they are definitely on the way. Okay, as promised, I have a space approved recipe for you today. These cookies were the first ever food baked in space the Doubletree Chocolate Chip Cookies. Doubletree is a subsidiary brand of Hilton Hotels and they're famous for their signature cookie recipe. You might be thinking, why cookies? Well, the International Space Station was working with the first ever space oven creator, Zero G Kitchen. The actual oven itself is called NanoRacks. It was the first ever cookie baked in space and it was also the first ever brand collaboration as well. The NanoRack oven looks nothing like an oven that you would really think about when you're in your kitchen. It's small as it needs to be very space conscious. <laughs> very space conscious. That's kind of funny. And it has very few settings for cooking or baking. However, it does get the job done. The team was directed to cook one cookie at a time because the baking rules well, if you're the first to do it, how do we really know what the rules are? The first four were cooked at 149 degrees Celsius, and the last one was cooked at 179 degrees Celsius to determine the ideal cooking temperature. And yes, they do use Celsius and not Fahrenheit when exploring space. The first cookie was baked for 25 minutes, and it was raw by the end of its cooking time. The remaining four cookies were baked for 120 minutes and left to cool for 25 minutes outside of the oven. The astronauts all agreed that the fourth and fifth cookies were the best baked out of the entire lot. This was determined because the last two cookies baked were the same consistency in space as they were on Earth. Now I know you're dying to know how to bake these. And to be clear, this is not my recipe. I have tested this recipe out on myself and several of my friends. I'm proud to say that all the cookies were eaten and this is 100% Scott Parrish approved. So take that knowledge with you, go out and make some space cookies. This recipe will make about 18 or 20. And by the way, thank you Hilton Hotels for this awesome recipe. So let's get started. You'll need half a pound of butter, softened, three quarters cup, and an additional one tablespoon of granulated sugar, 
three quarters cup packed light brown sugar, two large eggs, one and a quarter teaspoon of vanilla extract, a quarter teaspoon of freshly squeezed lemon juice, two and a quarter cups of flour, one half cup of rolled oats, one teaspoon baking soda, one teaspoon salt, a pinch of cinnamon, two and two thirds cups of Nestle Toll House semi-sweet chocolate chips, and one and three quarter cups of chopped walnuts. To begin, we'll preheat the oven to 300 degrees Fahrenheit or 149 degrees Celsius. And while the oven is preheating, we'll begin our dough preparation. Cream the butter and the eggs with a hand mixer or a stand mixer on medium speed for a couple of minutes. You'll want the consistency to be creamy. Then turn the mixer on low speed and add the eggs one at a time. Incorporate the vanilla and the lemon juice while blending on low speed for, I don't know, 30 or 60 seconds. Then turn the speed up to medium and let it go for a couple of minutes. What you're looking for here is this light and fluffy consistency. Be sure to scrape down in your bowl too because you don't want any dry ingredients when you're finished. Put the mixer on low speed and add your flour. Slowly because if you haven't baked before, it can make a huge mess. Then add your oats, your baking soda, your salt, and your cinnamon. Blend it until it's well mixed, but just don't overdo it. Next, stir in the chocolate chips and chopped walnuts. Anyone that's followed me for a long time knows at this point I'm using my hands. Just make sure that the chocolate and the nuts are mixed in well. Portion the dough into these golf ball sized pieces of dough on a baking sheet. The dough balls should be about two inches apart Place in the oven for 20 minutes or until the edges are light brown and the center of the cookie is soft. I should say, and the center of the cookie is soft. Once done, remove the cookies from the baking sheet and let them cool for about an hour. Now here's your pro tip. Eat them a few minutes after you get them out of the oven for this crunchy on the edges and gooey in the middle cookie. I've been your host, Scott Parrish, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Eat. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna leave this one in there i'm your host scott parish and i'd like to thank you for listening to dying to eat this show is made possible by listeners like you and i really do appreciate your support if you like what you've heard and you'd like to hear more look for new episodes every week on your favorite podcast platform Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on our latest episodes. We love to hear from you, so leave your comments and ideas for future episodes. And until next time, stay lively. <laughs>